Welcome to The Watching Dead, the officially unofficial podcast for The Walking Dead on AMC. I'm Jim, and joining me today is Chris from The Talking Dead podcast. Uh, not not Chris Hardwick <laughs> from The Talking Dead on AMC, the other Chris from The Other Talking Dead. Uh, actually, you know what? Uh, first of all, say hi, Chris. Hey, everybody. That's <laughs> right. I'm not Chris Hardwick, but I, people make that mistake all the time. They do, and it's completely unfair because you guys actually had the name first. You had the name. Well, I think he might have had the name Chris first. I don't uh, know. I'm. Uh, I might actually be older than him, but we definitely had the really? podcast okay. name first. Yes. Yeah. You certainly did, and they came along, kind of stole it. But I think in the process made you guys a lot more popular too, right? I can't deny the fact that there have been lots of our listeners that have gone out looking for that show, found us, and have stuck with us, which. It kind of upset me a little bit when they stole the name, but I've, you know, we've, I, I'm okay with it now, to be honest. Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, no bitterness toward toward the other Chris. Not anymore. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we are talking today about Land of the Dead. It is the fourth entry into George Romero's Of the Dead series. Mm-hmm. If, even though Of the Dead is a little bit of a misnomer because it was Night of the Living Dead. Uh, but I, I stick with the Of the Dead series. Makes it yeah, easy. It seems to work. It makes it easy. You're right. Yeah. Uh, so this is the fourth one. Came out in 2005. And it is actually the first one that's um, produced by a major studio. Uh, Universal was behind this one before he had always kind of done independent stuff. He was probably self-financing a fair bit before that, too, just to get the movies made, I would think. Yeah, yeah. Especially um, during his first one, Night of the Living Dead. I know he... Uh, he and a group of people basically got uh, a bunch of their money together and a bunch of uh, in- investors, if you want to even call them that, you know, family, friends type of investors. Probably people that just had a few extra bucks and he begged them enough to to throw it his way, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so he's always been kind of uh, an independent filmmaker up until uh, this point as far as his zombie films go. Uh, and this one definitely shows, right? I mean, the production values on this are... I would say a lot higher. Uh, there's a lot of CG. Um, there's, a, I, I think the makeup is probably more realistic. Yeah, I would. I would totally agree. I think, I think in general, the special effects are pretty good in this movie. There's a lot mm-hmm. of really good, gory zombie kills and stuff like that. And of course, we have Greg Nicotero who's doing. Who's doing? Yeah. Who's heading up the the effects in this? And he's amazing, as we all know. So you're right. This one looked a little like a step up from maybe some of the older stuff, but uh, um, I guess the budget was just there for it this time. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and you can see it. So so the main synopsis of this film, the idea behind it is that uh, it's called Land of the Dead because really the living dead had taken over the entire world at this point, and there are you hear of like a couple of outposts where there are humans left. Uh, but basically the last humans are living in this walled city that they um, use to protect themselves. And as they're kind of coming to grips with this situation, uh, chaos ensues. It, it becomes a class struggle uh, for the people in the city. And that turns into uh, uh, more allegory for what's going on at the time in the United <laughs> States, especially there, there's always a ton of that in Romero's films, so if if you're not prepared for that, 
Uh, you can also, I guess, watch this as kind of a popcorn flick, too, if you wanted. Well, you could. I mean, it's definitely um, a little, I, I think anyways, it definitely had a little bit of a cheese factor to it at certain times. Definitely mm. kind of a popcorn film. But zombies are, are a good genre for <laughs> for uh, social commentary. And, they are, yeah. And, you know, Romero has been doing that with all of his zombie films, sometimes to, you know, better result than other times but Mm -hmm. this one this one especially because of the class system that he defines in this movie and in this case it's really about you know upper class lower class i guess although i even sort of think i see three in this one there's the there's the really rich upper class then there's kind of the slum where the rest of the humans are living and then Mm -hmm. in this case the zombies i thought formed almost like the lowest lowest class uh in this film here so there's sort of three going on yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, we will talk about that a lot more near the end of the podcast, I'm sure. Um, before we get to that, I want to talk about some of the characters uh, and some of the other production stuff. Like, this was actually filmed in Toronto um, and Hamilton, which are mm-hmm. both in Ontario, Canada. Uh, I know that you live in Canada yourself. What part of Canada do you live in? I'm in Toronto. I've born and raised here, so uh, okay. there was some... There was some familiarity with some of the locations here. Now they did a really good job of of not of making it generic enough. You know, it, it didn't. I wasn't sitting there the whole time going, "I've been there, I've been there, I've been there." But <laughs> you know, I did. There was a couple. There was one shot at least where we have this raised highway that goes through um, through the lakeshore section of Toronto, and they were under that for a while and stuff like that. So I recognized huh. it, which is always fun, but you can't see the CN tower or anything, which, which would have thrown it way <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I think that this is supposed to take place in Pittsburgh. It is. I was wondering that too, but, um, and I went and did a little research and there's a bunch of times when there's a map on screen and it's, it's a map of Pittsburgh. Basically you can see the rivers that okay. come together and they even talk about how it's surrounded by rivers on three sides. So it's, mm-hmm. they never say Pittsburgh, but it's definitely Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah. I, I wasn't so sure. Cause I'm not very familiar with the layout of Pittsburgh myself. So, uh, but, but uh, they call it, you know, one of the greatest cities in the world, I guess. And I think that is, I'm just going to say the bias of Romero. I don't know that I call Pittsburgh one of the greatest cities <laughs> in the world, but uh, being from Pittsburgh, he is certainly uh, endeared to it. Well, so. he's he's a fan of his hometown. I mean, you can't hold that against him. I've never been there either, so I don't really have any firsthand knowledge of it, but um, it uh, I've heard it's nice okay. when it's not overrun with zombies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so there are a bunch of people in this movie that you'd probably recognize, like John Leguizamo. Uh, he plays mm-hmm. Cholo, and Dennis Hopper plays a character named Kaufman. Um, there are a couple of other characters who I know I've seen around, like Simon Baker plays a character named Riley, who's one of the main characters in the film. Mm-hmm. I know I've seen him in stuff, but I don't know where, like I can't place it. I had the same experience. Like he's kind of got a recognizable face, but I couldn't place him in anything else. Okay. Uh, and also Robert Joy, who plays Charlie, uh, underneath the makeup, I, I know that I've seen him other places as well. Yeah. But again, not sure where. Uh, the, the last person I wanted to specifically point out is the girl who plays Slack. That is Asia Argento, who is actually the daughter of Dario Argento, mm-hmm. who I think if you're into the horror genre um, deep enough, you probably know that that is one of the great Italian horror filmmakers. 
Absolutely. Although I'm not sure I've ever seen one of his films, which is a definitely a um, a hole in my movie watching knowledge. Sure, sure. Uh, I mean, you know, they're kind of hard to get a hold of here. They right. don't get shown on TV very often in the uh, North America region. So, yeah, and you know, I uh, they're the kind of thing that I would like to go and check out, but I just haven't got a chance to seek them out. Like you said, they can be hard to come by. Um, sure. But but speaking of uh, speaking of it being in Canada, and I don't want to go off on a whole Canada thing. <laughs> it's too many of us dorky Canadians would do that. But there's almost every other actor in this movie side characters background characters a lot of the zombies are locals are canadians the one that's probably most well known by anyone is peter outerbridge who played a character in this called styles and he's been around in a ton of stuff he's in orphan black he's in nikita he was on 24 for a while so he's been acting for years and years and years you might recognize him i might i'm not sure who you're talking about though (laughs) yeah so i i must have missed him in the film yeah, he's, you know, he's, he doesn't, I, I, I didn't notice him when I was watching it, to be honest, but looking through the cast here, I, he's, he's there and, uh, he does okay. have a named character. He's not just a zombie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not an extra. No, not an extra. Uh, out of all the characters of the film, which one would you say was your favorite? My favorite, um, is probably one that we didn't mention yet. And that is an actor. Well, the character is Chihuahua. And the actor that portrayed him is Phil Fonda Caro. Do you have any idea who I'm talking about? I have no idea which character or <laughs> actor you're talking about. No. All right. Well, Chihuahua is the little guy in the the white cowboy hat where we first, the scene where we're first introduced oh. to Asia Argento's character. And okay. he's kind of like this rich dude that um, Riley, played by Simon Baker, goes to talk to about something he's he's doing. And then uh, he doesn't last very long, but I thought he was funny. And Phil Fondacaro is been acting for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you'd know him from like Walker, Texas Ranger and stuff like that. Sure. But his one of his first ever roles was an Ewok in Return of the Jedi. All right. And, and that's kind of, you know, I don't know why I know that, but he he was there. And when I saw him on screen, I'm like, oh, my God, I haven't thought about that guy in like 20 years. And there he is. So awesome. I had to got to go with him. OK, uh, that is completely fair. I <laughs> think I'm probably going to go with one of the, uh, I guess, more trivial characters in in the movie as well. And that's Charlie. I think, you know, Charlie has a heart of gold. He's always being picked on. It's 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 sad, but he has like a best friend who stands up for him. And I really like that dynamic between Riley and Charlie. And yep. Charlie's funny, too. You know? No, he's funny. And he plays an important role. I mean, he saves pe- some people's lives. And, yeah, you know, he's, he is there kind of just backing up the the main character. But he even says right at the beginning, you know, he, he kind of startles them. And he says, I've got your back. And that's that's what he's there to do. Yeah. But unfortunately, he takes out your favorite character in the movie. So <laughs> that's true. He uh, does take him out. But that's another reason why he's kind of cool. He's he's such a <laughs> he's such a good shot. You know. Yeah, yeah. He is very capable, and I really like that. Yeah. Uh, there's are some other interesting appearances in this film. Um, there's probably two of the bigger names in zombie films at this point, from Shaun of the Dead, uh, Simon Pegg, and Edgar Wright, are actually two of the zombies that are chained up when we first go to that crazy scene that you were talking about where your favorite character is introduced really i had no idea yeah yeah they're the ones that are kind of snapping at the camera and you can you can tell but they have a lot of makeup on 
Okay, I'm going back to check that out. I had no idea those guys were in there. It's funny. Just the other night too, I watched uh, Hot Fuzz, which is a great movie. And uh, oh yeah, that is bizarre that they are in there too. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, man, I love that movie. Uh, yeah. all, all three of those uh, Cornetto movies. Yes, yes. I was trying to think of the word. Yeah, because we don't have Cornetto over here. So what? Really? We have it in Canada. Are you kidding me? I swear we have Cornettos here. <laughs> Maybe we do. I'm not a big ice cream guy, but maybe we do. <laughs> All right. Well, you should seek them out. They're pretty tasty. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, also, Tom Savini's in the movie, and Tom Savini is one of the more famous uh, makeup effects artists in the industry, uh, especially when it comes to zombie films. He's done a ton of stuff, and he works a lot in George Romero's movies as well. Another guy from Pittsburgh, it looks like. Yeah. 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 And, of course, Greg Nicotero is in there somewhere. I think he's credited as, like, Bridge Zombie. Yes, uh, I'll mention him a little bit later. Okay, cool. Uh, the other one, other thing I wanted to talk about with actors is kind of the continuity that Romero has with his actors in his films, because a lot of them make appearances in several of the of the dead movies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's a guy in this movie who is very briefly shown. Um, he ends up turning into a zombie and getting shot in the head. And his name's Alan Van Sprang. He plays Brubaker in this movie. Okay. And he is actually in Romero's next two movies. He's in Diary of the Dead very briefly. Um, he, he basically stumbles across these kids in the RV on the road and takes their supplies and leaves. Uh, but then Survival of the Dead, he is actually the ma- one of the main characters in that film, which I, I thought was interesting. I have seen Diary... Um, but not survival, and I don't remember him from Diary. Yeah, he's he's a very small part, as he is in this as well. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of others. I mean, Sean Roberts, the guy who plays, I think it's Mike in this film, who shoots him in the head after getting bit in the liquor store. Oh, uh, yeah. he He's in Land and Diary of the Dead as well. Um, there's Ken Forey, who is Peter in the original Dawn of the Dead. Mm-hmm. He comes back in the Dawn of the Dead remake as the TV evangelist. Um, so that's kind of cool. Uh, same with, uh, Roger, the guy who plays Roger. He's actually in the Dawn of the Dead remake. And then, you know, Ving Rhames is in Dawn and Day of the Dead remakes. Mm-hmm. I, I am a huge Ving Rhames fan. Uh, and I talk a little bit about that with Jason, uh, on our Dawn of the Dead recap, or I'm sorry, Day of the Dead recaps. Yeah. Gotta love Ving Rhames. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, the, you know, he uses a lot of the same actors to do different roles. Um, and I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, which you know? is totally cool. A lot of a lot of directors are like that. They have a set of actors that they love, and they they put them mm-hmm. in you know multiple movies. Um, I'm not surprised Romero does that. He's got some. It sounds like sometimes characters persist through the films, but other times it's just actors that he likes to put in there in different roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the film. Um, I'm going to go to some of our favorite scenes or. It doesn't really have to be a scene per se. It can be like a quote or just a part of the movie, a thing you appreciated about it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in this film that really stood out to you that you liked a lot? That I liked a lot? Well, I had a funny, a bit of a funny experience with this film because I watched it twice over the last couple of weeks leading up to doing this. And the first time through, I didn't, I came out at the end and I didn't really like it that much. I felt mm-hmm. like there was a lot missing from this movie and I felt like they missed a lot of opportunities with sort of the themes they were going for. Um, for example, it's, it's 
at the end of the first watch through, I thought, you know, this was called Land of the Dead, but I didn't really feel like it was, it kind of felt a little bit smaller than Land of the Dead would imply, right? I wanted to see, I wanted to get a sense of the whole world being overrun with zombies and just have a really big scope to it. But I Mm -hmm. don't think it really, it really did that in any way. Now, when I watched the second time, I felt a little bit better about it. I actually came out enjoying it a little bit more um, because I guess maybe because I picked up on more, they, they referred to some other settlements in Cleveland, I think they mentioned and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the end, I did kind of, uh, I did kind of end up enjoying the movie, but I had to watch it twice, <laughs> okay. which, uh, which I think maybe just means that there was a little bit more layered in here than, than I was expecting the first time. Um, and, but in terms of what I liked about it, I liked the, I did like a lot of the, uh, a lot of the zombie stuff. I thought there was some cool gore, um, some good, <laughs> oh, yeah. some good kills. I thought, uh, Dennis Hopper was, you know, equally um, sort of cheesy, but <laughs> but equally cheesy, but also good for the film. Like he kind of brought something to it, and mm-hmm. uh, even though he was kind of goofy, you know, he he it it reinforced the theme sort of they were going for of class and stuff like that. Um, so overall, I came out came out kind of enjoying it, which I maybe didn't expect going in. I don't know why. Okay, no, I. I completely understand that because I had a very similar reaction. Yeah. Uh, the first time I watched it, I guess I didn't get it. Um, I, this was this was years ago, and I was so unconcerned with any kind of political anything at that mm-hmm. point that all of this kind of class stuff and societal uh, upheaval stuff just kind of went right over my head. Right. Uh, on second watch there's a lot of it in there and it's kind of subtle too in some ways and in other ways it's very overt and it kind of beats you over the head but i think that's kind of george romero's style you know he's got two layers to his films one is the the very obvious layer on top that Mm -hmm. he wants everybody to get and then there's kind of a this is my personal opinion on what i just set up underneath all of that right um, and, and I really appreciated that the second time through. I thought some of the stuff, like, um, it, it, for instance, the flowers that they use, the the fireworks that they send up to distract the zombies while they go on their raids, uh, that has very much the effect of tying it to kind of the uh, the shock and awe campaigns that happen in the second Iraq War, mm-hmm. um, th- things where people are just being distracted by what is being shown to them by the pretty lights, um, the flashy (laughs) things, and they don't take note of what's going on directly around them. And I think that's a slightly more subtle commentary on, on it, as opposed to Dennis Hopper saying, screaming, you have no right. You have no right. (laughs) I I really, I really like that line actually. And, and that comes back to sort of the class warfare of it all. Right. He's, he's up there in his ivory tower, safe Uh um with everything he could ever want and he's looking down saying thinking to himself i've done so much to help you people or at least he thinks he has yeah now they're revolting on him and attacking him you have no right i think um and he said it a couple times throughout the movie but i think it really Uh hammers home that that kind of point 
It um, does, and that's really the only point I'm making is the difference between the very overt and the very subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, the, also, another another subtle thing that I think he does is that Fiddler's Green commercial that's playing on the TVs inside of Fiddler's Green. Right. It's also interesting because that's that's kind of placating and distracting as well, um, setting up this this idea of what Fiddler's Green is. Um, but for the upper class, and they're kind of ignoring the the horrible stuff that's going on outside of the building, uh-huh. outside of their ivory tower. Everybody, uh, yeah, sorry. And, and by the end of it, you know, that all goes wrong for them. You, you can only ignore it to a point, and then it's going to come busting in your front doors, you know? Of course, the threat is there. You can't... Uh... You can't ignore it for, for too long. Yeah. Um, everybody inside Fiddler's Green just seemed – well, that commercial especially, it's it made it <laughs> seem so idyllic or perfect, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was almost – it was almost strange to see something like that in this world where you know outside, like, everything has just totally gone to hell. Mm-hmm. And inside, people are sitting around in cafes, drinking coffee, and <laughs> it looked like they were having business lunches and things like that, which yeah. kind of almost made no sense. Like, these people are surviving in there, but are they really going about their day-to-day lives like they used to before all this happened? That seemed kind of crazy. Yeah, that's the thing. They're just they're ignoring the the yeah. obvious world events um, in favor of you know the the small pleasures that they get during their existence in Fiddler's Green. Right. So <laughs> that's uh, for sure. I, yeah, uh, I I don't know how deep we want to get in there, but some of the things that I liked about this movie. Um, I, I speaking of Dennis Hopper, I really like his line where he says, "In a world where the dead are returning to life, the word trouble loses most of its meaning." Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought that was uh, a, a fairly poignant line. Uh, means For a sure. Lot. He also rattled off a line that, you know, bring this is rather overtly connected to real life where he said, we don't negotiate with terrorists. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. referring to uh, referring to John Leguizamo's character. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I guess speaks right back to a lot of stuff a lot of things that were going on with uh the u.s and their war on terror and so on at the time mm-hmm. i, I don't want to say your war on terror i wouldn't i wouldn't presume presume anything <laughs> like that <laughs> okay I, I appreciate that i am not currently warring terror i, I will just say uh, well I, I if there's any terror in your life you know i i don't know but uh good all right well I, i'm a little terrorized by the thought that i have to get up on stage in two weeks and talk to people at walker stalker con that's a little terrifying, but uh, other than that, no. You'll be fine. We've been on that stage together before, and uh, we you, were, you were just great. <laughs> uh, it, it was a ton of fun, though. Ton of it fun. was. Uh, so an- another thing that I I guess I thought was funny, so, some things I think are funny but kind of cheesy in that same Dennis Hopper way, uh, there's a scene where this guy, Mouse, is like on his skateboard, and he skateboards up to a door, and a child zombie like scares him. Mm-hmm. So he skateboards backwards, and he ends up directly in the mouth of a zombie, which I thought was funny. It was, but at the same time, like he's sitting there, you know, knowing all by himself, knowing there's zombies around. He's sitting there listening to music, <laughs> and you know, not paying attention. And then he gets attacked by a zombie on one side, and skateboard skate or slides back to the other side, and there's another one. I was like, come on, really. So you're saying he deserved it? I think a little bit. Okay. I I can get behind (laughs) you there, yeah. Uh, It's also, again, cheesy but funny when, uh, crap, what is his name? Riley's climbing the uh, Dead Reckoning, 
and the girl's driving it and she's like i'm gonna go in reverse and he doesn't expect it and so he almost falls off and then she <laughs> slams it in forward he, he smashes up against the windshield i some of that stuff is cheesy but it kind of makes you chuckle i don't know it, it didn't feel like this movie had the same co- comedic heart that some of his other films had you know yeah i don't know that 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 kind of thing actually worked okay for me. I know what you mean, though. Like, he's expecting it to go one way and it goes the other way. And they did play it off as kind of a joke, though. Um, yeah, they and do. I think it, it sort of worked. I don't know. Did we say that the Dead Reckoning <laughs> is this big sort of Mad Max tank thing that they've they've built to protect themselves in this movie? No, no, we didn't. So I, I guess that Dennis Hopper has hired John Leguizamo, or actually Riley, I think, is the team leader, yes. to, to build this tank uh, so that he can use it to both protect Fiddler's Green and as an escape uh, possibility if necessary. And that gets stolen by John Leguizamo, who is fed up with the ways being treated. Uh, and then that is the Dead Reckoning is used to threaten Fiddler's Green with missiles. And that's kind of the main tension of the film uh, after John Leguizamo goes off the rails. It is. And the, the the only problem I had with Dead Reckoning, Dead Reckoning as a vehicle, I thought it was pretty neat, well-armored, you know, lots of firepower and so on. Yep. But it didn't seem to have any close combat weapons, like all kinds of machine guns and so on. But if, if zombies that were managed to crowd up around that thing, uh-huh. there was nothing they can do. There's a scene where um, uh, Slack was trying to shoot them and she couldn't get a shot because the gun, they were too close <laughs> to them. And I was like, really? They don't have like some sort of flamethrowers or something they can at least uh-huh. light them on fire with. It, uh, it seemed like an oversight in the design of that vehicle. Yeah, yeah, and they did this in Dawn of the Dead, the remake, right? They they accounted for that. So they built this bus, mm-hmm. uh, and they and they armored it up and everything, but they left these kind of slots in the side that ran like halfway up the side of the bus, and they could just stick a chainsaw out the side and saw people's hands and heads off. See, you need that kind of thing. I mean, if yeah. you get in a crowd where there's so many zombies that you can't possibly shoot them all from a distance, you need some close combat weapons while still being protected inside your vehicle. For sure. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, there there were a lot of really good zombie kills, or actually the other way around. Like, a lot of zombies killed humans uh, in really cool fashion. Yes. Definitely the kill of the film for me is when they're kind of sitting in this car waiting to take off, and one of the zombies comes walking up, and it, it looks like it's headless, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they turn around, they go, oh my god, it's a zombie. Oh, okay, shoo, it doesn't have a head, it can't bite me. But then... It flips its head up, which is attached to its spinal cord, and bites the guy on the arm. <laughs> that one came out of nowhere for me. I really yeah. did not did not see that coming. But at the same time, if that zombie or if that body was headless, it wouldn't be walking up to them. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's let's not think about this too much. It was just too cool. <laughs> it was it was pretty awesome. Um, one of my favorites was the bridge keeper zombie uh, who uh, Riley's fighting with at one point. Played by Greg Nicotero. That's what I yeah. wanted to mention. That was Greg as a zombie. He always puts himself in in a movie as a zombie, at mm-hmm. least many times. And I just like that one because um, Riley spins him around and then he gets his head popped off by the drawbridge coming down. <laughs> and it's just so ironic that the guy operating the drawbridge gets killed by his own drawbridge. <laughs> sure. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I like uh, that one. There's another one where the guy operating the weapon gets killed by it, and that's where... Uh, this guy pulls out a grenade, 
because the zombies are rushing him, he pulls the pin, and then a zombie comes up and hacks off his hand with a cleaver. Mm-hmm. And the, the grenade falls on the ground. The guy falls over on top of it and blows up. I yeah. thought that was super cool. That was pretty good. Um, and you know what? You're right. There are lots in this because I can I can give you another one where uh, there's All a right. zombie who's got his whole arm down some guy's oh. throat, and, and he's just ripping his insides out through his mouth, and yeah. like. That was disgusting and awesome, like, all at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) That's what a proper zombie kill should be. Disgusting and awesome. You're right. You're right. That's what you want to go for. None of these sort of half-assed, not-awesome zombie kills. Nobody wants all those. No, no. (laughs) Uh, There was one more that actually had me laughing out loud, and this is not a kill, but... uh, I think she was killed shortly after. There's a zombie, when when they rush Fiddler's Green... They break down the doors and start attacking people. There's a zombie that bites out a woman's navel piercing. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> which, for some reason, had me laughing out loud. I don't know why, but it was really funny. The way he spits it out, he's like, oh, what's this? Pleh. I just, I winced. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I had a pierced ear when I was a teenager. I, I did. Uh-huh. <laughs> and one of the things that I always worried about was what the hell happens if that gets stuck in something. And now mm-hmm. I have kids and my one of my girls got her ears pierced recently. And all I could think of is, oh, my God, what if that gets stuck in something? <laughs> and uh, so I kind of winced when I saw that thinking, oh, that's that's just nasty. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm with you. It's sometimes those small things that get you, too, right? Like you can see someone's guts being ripped out, their head being torn off. But they bite the navel piercing out. You're like, ooh, ooh. Yeah, it's it's something new, something I hadn't seen before, and it's clearly a deep-seated fear I have in my life. So, <laughs> Yeah, obviously. The uh, One more that I wanted to mention that I thought was well shot as well um, is one where I, I think it's right after they get out of the water and they start rushing the people outside of Fiddler's Green. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a zombie who grabs somebody's head and starts to pull on it, and it shows the shadow of that and we see that the shadow is having his head ripped off and his spinal cord like sliding out of his body yep ah disgusting but it's shot so well right they don't even need to show you the gore it's still disgusting no but it it was amazing um the shadow of it was almost more shocking than seeing it happen right yeah yeah almost um there was a couple of good explosions uh Near the end, actually, there's an explosion where some gas explodes and a couple of bodies go flying. I thought it looked, uh, I thought that looked really good. And uh-huh. then there's a scene where the, they shoot a rocket into a big crowd of basically zombies eating, uh, eating formerly living people. And there's a yeah. ton of them around and the, and the rocket just goes in and explodes and, and bodies go flying everywhere. I thought the, both explosions in the movie, those two anyways, looked, looked pretty good. Yeah, they did, definitely. As a little um, bit less personal kill, but uh, still, still uh, <laughs> sure. good bodies flying everywhere. <laughs> C- can you think of any that aren't explosions that the humans got? Like, did the humans make a lot of good kills? It didn't really seem like it. No, you know, not really. I mean, they, they shot a lot of zombies. Um, mm. A lot of body shots, a lot of, you know, I guess, I guess they got some head shots too, but... The zombies did a lot of the awesome killing in this. The humans, not so much. Yep. I don't know. I agree. Uh, So I I think we've talked about um, some of the social commentary stuff uh, a little bit. Before we... I mean, I don't know how much more I want to say about it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. As as a Canadian, I don't know what kind of perspective you have on it, so I might 
be kind of interested in hearing that because you know getting getting wrapped up in it here in the u.s is a very different thing when it's you know as you said your war our war uh (laughs) That's 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 a little scarier, right? <laughs> well, I maybe it is. I mean, I I didn't really see I don't know if I saw the parallels as much as some other people to like a war on terror and things like that. I mm-hmm. I I really sort of picked up more on just the class distinction stuff which um is almost when you think about it more poignant today than it is mm-hmm. back in 2005 when this movie was made. Although things like, you know, the separation of rich and poor were happening then too. But that's something that these days the gap is is widening a great deal between people who, you know, have and people who don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think maybe that's why I kind of picked up on that a little bit more than than maybe some of the other stuff. But, you know, Romero does a good job with this kind of commentary and Again, on my second viewing through this movie, I was uh, I was much more in tune to to these sort of themes that were that he was going for here, and I think he did a pretty good job um, portraying them. Yeah, definitely. I, I think you're right. The, the class distinction is much more apparent and probably much more uh, much more embedded in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's interesting though because when when he first set out to make this film, he had the first draft of the film ready like three days before 9-11 happened. And then he, he takes this thing in and he says, uh, here, here's my film. Uh, <laughs> three days before that happens, the studios say, yeah, we'll get, we'll get back to you. Uh, and then 9-11 happens and nobody wanted to make this thing because, you know, it had too much social commentary in it. It had, uh, it, it was too dark. People just wanted something to, you know, bring back the good feeling in right. the States at that point. Uh, and so he put it on the shelf and he came back to it a few years later and he said the exact same thing that you said, which is this is a more apt film at this point. It's more relevant than it's ever been. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, that was in 2005 and now here we are almost 10 years later and it's even more of a thing at this point. Boy, talk about bad timing though, but obviously he had no way of knowing, but, uh, yeah, I wonder, yeah. you know, I guess I wonder if this movie would have been made three years earlier if, if 9-11 had never happened, I mean, it probably would have. Sure. I, th- I think so, yeah. I mean, by uh, that time, Romero, you know, it's not like he had to beg people to, to get his movies made anymore. And uh, he, so, <laughs> geez. Sure. No, it, but it seems like, you know, it probably would have been made sooner, but I don't think it would have been as uh, as resonant with people. Right. Uh, because th- th- it wouldn't have been as obvious, Um with with the class struggles and everything, well, uh, he's, and he's he's kind of been prescient in his other films a little bit too. With Land or sorry, with Diary of the Dead, he kind of goes on this tear about media um, yep. and how media is basically um, becoming noise that it's almost impossible to get to the truth mm-hmm. from, uh, and, and and it's because of things like blogs and <laughs> I'm I'm guilty of this too podcasts. Uh, of course <laughs> stuff like that where it's just drowning out the truth so and that was in 2007 and that's more of the case than it's ever been now so he kind of has a knack for picking up on these social trends and then uh figuring out how to tell that in movie form he does he's totally ahead of of things a little bit because you're right diary came out in 2007 but i'd almost say that kind of mess that message applies more now than it does then yeah he seems to be really good at that 
Yeah, uh, I guess he must watch a lot of news. <laughs> <laughs> he just sits at home and thinks a lot, and he thinks, what's going to be the next big thing? I'm going to make a zombie movie about it. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting how his zombie movies aren't so much uh, about the zombies. They they never really are. Whereas you take something like even the remakes of his movies, and they just become about th- their action flicks with zombies. Right. That's, that uh, happens in remakes, though. I mean, you yeah. a, a remake tends to lose it's lose the heart of what made the original good, assuming the original is good, right? And yeah, I think yeah. it's rare that a remake will add something to to a film. It it tends to take away. So, yeah. um, what's the point of making remakes all the time? I don't know. <laughs> More money. Oh, that's the point. <laughs> I forgot about money. That's right. That's always the point. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, it's yeah, usually the point. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about this film uh, before we get out of here? I really don't like the whole idea of zombies starting to become a little bit intelligent and start to use tools and communicate oh. and stuff like that. I get what they were going for here. The zombies mm-hmm. are sort of a low class. They're they're not taking it anymore and they're going to uprise and so on. Yep. But I just don't. I just don't get it. I don't. I don't buy it. I mean, they're either dead, mindless zombies or they're not and uh i don't know it's it it kind of bugged me the uh, seeing them start to use tools and pick up guns and then even teach each other things um yeah what was the main zombie's name again big Uh, big daddy big daddy yeah yeah he you know at one point he he gives a gun to one of the other zombies that's moving with him and sort of shows her what to do with it and i don't know i i prefer my zombies to be mindless monsters that you have to protect yourself from not sort of an organized force that's coming after you there's enough there's enough dangers outside the zombies in this kind of world that uh, i don't know if we need the zombies to be to be smart what do you what do you think about that yeah i see i'm i'm mostly with you i i'm definitely a fan of the slow stupid zombie Mm -hmm. um, that is just you know the unrelenting force right but at the same time, when you're dealing with a Romero movie, it's it does inevitably come back to this idea that the zombies have some portion of what made them human still in, as a part of the zombie form. Um, if you look at things like Dawn of the Dead, uh, those people are at the mall because that's what they used to do. They used to go to the mall. Right. Um, in In Day of the Dead, you've got Bub, who is basically a, a the big daddy of that film mm-hmm. where he can use guns and he can play walkmans and all sorts of things uh so it's it kind of comes along with the romero film i don't think you can divorce those two ideas no you're right i mean i guess it's something he's he's gone for before but i still see a difference between zombies that have kind of a residual muscle memory of their previous life and and you know they all go okay. to the mall because because that's what they did when they were alive and i totally can see the the commentary in that oh yeah but, <laughs> but at the same time these zombies i was like you know they're picking up tools and one of them is using the the, the hatchet or the cleaver the meat cleaver and learning uh-huh. to use guns and they're organizing themselves and that's kind of what i didn't like about it yeah i you know i i, I get that it's the idea of zombies being instinctively driven versus being actually intelligent. Right. 
And I'm kind of with you. I, I don't want my zombies to be too smart. No, and and, and for, in this movie, they just felt a little bit too smart. So They did. And that's one of the things that I didn't like about it the first time I saw it. Right, 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 right. And and yeah, I I was kind of focused on that the first time and I don't think it got any better the second time, but but I don't know. It's there were other things in here that that made the movie uh work for me, and so I could kind of see past it. But if I think they just I think he just went a little too far in this one with making the the zombies a bit too smart. Um a couple other really quickly, um the scene, oh, I think it's almost the opening shot of the movie. There's kind of a zombie band. <laughs> In a, oh, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in a gazebo and one of them's playing a uh a tuba and another guy's got a uh-huh. trombone that was so weird <laughs> such a bizarre way to open the film i thought um i'm like what the hell is this gonna be you know zombie yeah, band yeah. um and then i think one of my favorite scenes in the film just really quick was after the zombies cross the river and they're coming out of the water it's it's sort of the water's smooth and quiet and you know nothing has hit the fan yet and then they just sort of slowly mm-hmm. start rising out of the water super creepy really well shot really good looking and just seeing yeah. the, these soaking wet zombies coming out you know uh out of this water that was so smooth and calm and pristine just before they came out i thought it was a really really good good shot good scene yeah absolutely i love that um there's there's also i'm curious why money has any power in this society uh, oh yeah that it, makes no sense it, it seems like the way that fiddler's green is able to maintain itself is by paying the people to go out on runs to bring them supplies mm-hmm. but the people who bring the supplies and go and get the supplies are really the ones with the power here yeah, you would think so. I mean, um, Dennis Hopper's character is up there with all the money, and he has a monologue about how he he's the one who built this community and paid for it, and mm-hmm. the people should be more uh, – um, they should appreciate that a little bit more. But what does he do with his money now? I mean, the, the lower class don't have anything. They just have the supplies that people are bringing back, and he's up there mm-hmm. in his tower maybe with money but nothing to do with it. So – it's, yeah. It seems like the other thing is um, John Leguizamo was trying to get into Fiddler's Green and he was trying to buy his way in, basically buy somewhere to live in there is what I got from it. Uh-huh. Um, and but I mean, that's only because he was kind of working for, you know, the, the leader. No uh-huh. one else would have that opportunity. No one else would have any way to make any money. So I'm not sure how it fit in either. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's. It's something that is pretty easy to overlook, I think, in this film. Uh, it's it's not a big problem. No, not a huge problem. When they're in um, when they're in the liquor store near the beginning, one of them says that you know a bottle of of whiskey or something like that is worth fifteen hundred. So I, I mean, I guess there is some sort of uh, commerce happening there. I mean, yeah. even maybe even amongst the the lower class. But yeah, I'm not really sure how how those people get anything other than from the people who go out and get the stuff to begin with. You'd think they would have, they would control all the power because they have all the supplies. Yeah. That, that seems to be how it works in most of these apocalyptic scenarios. Yeah. You know, uh, but, oh, well, uh, yeah, not, it was not a big problem. Not, not the hugest deal. <laughs> all right. Anything else? No, man, I think that's it. That was good. Okay. Yeah. I uh, had a lot of fun. Thanks for talking with the, with, uh, with me, Chris. 
And uh, if if you guys want to check out Chris's podcast, you can go to, I I think it's just talkingdeadpodcast.com. Yeah, talkingdeadpodcast.com is where you can find us. We are going to be recording one more episode before The Walking Dead starts uh, next week, week from today. Um, So you can find that. And then if you want to just find us on iTunes, do that. Search for The Talking Dead. We should come right up. Awesome. Sounds good. Uh, Thanks a lot, Chris, for being here. And I will see you at Walker Stalker Con in just a week and a half or so. Oh, I'm not going. (laughs) Oh, crap. You're not going? I know. It's I'm really, really disappointed that I'm not going, but Uh, it just it just doesn't work out for us this year, unfortunately. And uh, but I'm as we as it comes as it gets closer, I'm getting more and more upset that we we couldn't (laughs) make it. So I'm really bummed out. But I'll see you there next year for sure. I am I'm dedicating to that right now. All right, start foraging liquor bottles. You can get $1,500 a piece, I hear. Oh, yeah, perfect. That's all I need. (laughs) All right, thanks a lot, man. (laughs) No problem.